our band, you would never know that we had an enormous amount of tech issues leading up to right now. So thank you guys. Sounds great. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who was a part of that cleaning project yesterday over at the Baptist Church. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank you so much. It looks fantastic in there in that sanctuary, and so we appreciate that. Um, it looked like a baking soda explosion when we walked in, and by the time we left, it looked not like that. It looked great. It looked great. <laughs> so thank you very much. We appreciate that. And thank you all for being here today. We are in, what are we in? Part three, I believe, of a five-part series that we are calling Reset. And so, yes, we are in the midst of this transition right now. We are about to move our headquarters into this new property, and we want to take this time now to reset ourselves, remind ourselves of what we're supposed to be about as a local church, remind ourselves of our vision, get some clarity concerning these things before we make this move. And I mentioned last week that we spend a whole lot of time as a church talking about what it means to be a church. We spend a whole lot of time talking about that. You know why we do that? Because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget what we're supposed to be about. It can slip right through our fingers. We need to continually remind ourselves. In fact, just this past fall, we preached a, I preached a series called Lost Church, and we talked about what it means to be a church. And none of us remember that. Not even me, and I preached it, right? That's how easily we can forget what we're supposed to be about. And so we need to have that sense of absolute clarity absolute clarity as we move forward into this next journey, this next phase of our journey. And you know that this isn't an ending, this is just another beginning, right? As we move over here, another beginning, another beginning, another beginning as we continue to grow and serve Christ in this community. And so here we are, and uh, in this series, that's what we're talking about. And today's message is clarity. Clarity is so important. You can see that next week is simplicity, and before you can have simplicity, you need clarity, and so we're going to talk about clarity this week, simplicity next week, and so that's what we're addressing. So far, we've talked about how sometimes the consumer mentality or consumer expectations bleed their way into our, our churches and how that's no, that's no good. It's no bueno, okay? We can't have those kind of consumer expectations when it comes to how we think about the church, and so we've addressed that in the first two parts of the series. If you missed that, out on that. You can catch up online or listen to the podcast. So now we're talking about clarity. Um, I have to share a little story with you, give you an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about here. Um, I want to share something that happened as a part of, of the last church that I worked for. And uh, that last church I worked for uh, was not a perfect church, just like this isn't a perfect church. And the, my very first church I worked for wasn't a perfect church. There's no such thing. But that's what we're working towards here at Hope. We're working toward the ideal, knowing we're never going to quite make it, but we're working toward that ideal. Anyway, worked for this church, and somebody had an idea at the church. Let's have a community outreach event. Okay, great. Great idea. Great idea. And so we had this idea for an event. And by the way, um, where I stand on community outreach events, sure, it's great. It's fine. No problem with that. Let's develop some strategy around it. Let's be intentional about how we do it. Let's have a focus. Let's know our objective, all that kind of stuff. But sure, that's great. I prefer plugging into what the community is already doing. Let's see what's already happening and just go help and serve and all that stuff instead of trying to lure people onto our property. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I prefer that method, but it's fine. I'm not saying it's, you know, community outreach is bad. No, it's not. It's good. It's a good thing. So anyway, somebody had an idea. Let's have a community day. Be like a fair. And we'll have moon bounces like the big moon bounces, like the obstacle course moon bounces. And we'll have a dunk tank, and we'll have pony rides, and balloon animals, and face paint. Doesn't that sound like fun? All right, yeah. Oh, you want to do one now. Of course you do, right? <clears throat> I shouldn't have mentioned this. Never mind. It sounded great. And guess what it was going to cost? For us, yeah. But we wanted to make this a free event for the community. Just come out. 
Let the community know that we are here, we are a church, this is just a gift. And the objective was simple. We just want to let the community know we love you. We love you. This is a little gift, a little gift, a little gift. And that's, that's great. That's a great objective to have, just a little act of kindness, a little act of love. Come on out and have some fun because you never know. That's, that's a seed that's sown. And maybe somebody in our community, if they're struggling, if they start seeking answers about God or life or all this stuff, maybe they'll remember us as a church. That's the church that just gave us this free event, and these are decent people. Maybe I should go there and look for my answers there. And so it was a great idea. Let's do this community event. And then the tag-ons started happening. The tag-ons. Somebody found out, oh, we're doing this community event. Well, since we're going to have people on the property anyway, why don't we do a fundraiser? No, let's not. (laughs) Because those two ideas, a free event where we're showing love and outreach, and here we are, we care about you, here's a little gifty gift to the community, and let's take your money. Those are two different things, okay? They don't work together. They're counterproductive. But somebody with a great heart and great intention said, well, wait a minute, we're sending a mission team away on an international mission trip. If we're going to have people on our property anyway, let's raise some funds for this mission trip. It's not about us, it's for a mission trip. It's like, okay, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely justifiable, I see that. And so then it becomes a bigger thing. It's like, well, how exactly are we going to raise funds for this? And then it became a silent auction. Did you ever hear of a silent auction? It's not what I thought it was. I thought it was whoever is silent the longest wins. That's not it. It's something entirely else, okay? And so that means having to get donations for it and setting up a booth for it and finding people to run it. It's like, okay, here we go. Starting to get bigger, and we're starting to lose focus of what this was supposed to be about. What was this supposed to be about? What was this supposed to be about? And then another ministry in the church says, well, hang on a second. If they're raising funds for that mission, can't we raise funds for local missions as well? And hang on a second. Once upon a time in the history of our church, we used to have a chicken barbecue. Can we add that back into this? Goodness gracious. What was this supposed to be about? I, honest to God, I have palpitations right now just telling you the story. Oh, my goodness. We lost what this was supposed to be about. And things like this happen so innocently. People with good intentions, good motivations just don't know. What, what was this about? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the goal? What's the objective? If you don't know the objective, how can you tell if you're succeeding? How can you tell if you're Winning, how can you tell if you're accomplishing? If you don't know the goal, how do you know whether or not you're accomplishing the thing? You need to know what's the objective. What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? Now, one of the the many mistakes that we well-meaning Christians make is sometimes we confuse strategy with objective. Sometimes we can we confuse these, these elements of strategy or strategic maneuver or strategic piece with the end goal. Let me give you an example. I'm just full of examples today, aren't I? Example of what, I, what I'm talking about here, okay? So years ago, years ago, I sat down, went, was visiting some friends, sat down with their kid. He wanted to play a game of chess with me, all right? Any chess players in the room? A few, okay. He wanted to play a game of chess. Okay. So I said, all right, you go first. And so he moved to peace. And I moved to peace, and he moved to peace, and I moved to peace, and he moved to peace. You know how it goes, right? And we got to about three or four moves in, and that's when I said, you know, I don't know how to play chess, by the way. (laughs) And he said, well, how come you're moving in the right? I'm like, I'm just mimicking what I'm watching you do. You move a piece that kind of looks like a horsey this way, and then I move the horsey that way, right? You know what I mean? I didn't know the objective of the game, and I still don't. And don't bother explaining it. I'm more of a checkers man, Okay. But I could mimic strategy. I'm watching you do that, so I'm going to do that. 
I'm watching you move that way, so I'm going to move that way. I don't know what I'm working toward. I don't know. But I can see what you're doing, and I can mimic that. Boy, oh, boy, does that happen in churches, right? What should we do as a church? Let's have this event. Why? I've seen it done before. Why? Oh, I don't know. Let's have a spaghetti dinner. Why? Because we used to do that in the church I grew up in. Why? Oh, I don't know. I'm just mimicking what we used to do. Let's have a car wash. Why? What's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish in that? I'm not sure, but I've seen it done with other churches. There's three other churches doing it, so let's just do that. Why? What are we working toward? Here's a dangerous example. Let's do a service project. Service projects are great. We're big believers, and they're essential. To serve one another is essential. Let's do a service project. Why, though? What is it that we're working toward with these different things that we do, these different pieces of strategy? Do we know what the objective is? Do we know what we're working toward? And even good things that we can do, if we don't know why, we're missing. How can we measure our success if we don't know what we're working toward? I feel like I've really pounded this point into the ground, right? Okay, we all got it? We all got it. Fortunately for us as Christians, fortunately for us as the church, church with a capital C, not just one local church, but all the churches that make up Christ's church, fortunately for us, Jesus gave us incredibly clear instructions concerning what we are supposed to be about, okay? He gave us a clear mission, very clear, no mistaking what he said to do. It's clear, but it's not easy, all right? Those things are different. We've got clarity, but what Jesus commanded us to be about is not easy. In fact, the thing that Jesus commanded us to be about is all-consuming. The work that Jesus has given us to do as a church, it is not something that we can compartmentalize as much as we might want to. We just can't. It doesn't work that way. So without further ado, take a look in your bulletin at these instructions from Jesus. Those of you who are keeping track, this is perhaps, I think it's the 427th time we've read this verse in a a Sunday morning, read this passage, something like that, 427, I think. And we're going to keep looking at this probably multiple times a year for as long as we're a church because these are the instructions. This is what we're supposed to be about. We can't lose that. So just to give you some context here, this is Jesus after the crucifixion. All right, and so he spent all this time with his disciples, about three and a half years with his disciples. He's a traveling rabbi, spends this time with them. He explains to them that he is the Messiah. He explains to them they come to find out he's the Son of God. He reveals all this to them. He's crucified, he rises from the dead, and he speaks to them. And so all along the way, he's given them instruction, and he's shown them what to be about all along the way, but now he brings the point home. It's explicitly clear here. What does he say? Jesus said, came to them and said, All authority... In heaven on earth has been given to me. In other words, listen to what I'm about to tell you because I'm the boss, applesauce. All right? He is the boss. He has earned the right. He has authority. That's a whole other wonderful topic that we can get into, just the issue of authority and where do people find their sense of authority and where do we get authority from. And all. He, there is one who actually has authority to say, do this, don't do that. Okay? This is right. This is wrong. And Jesus is the one. Here's what he tells them to do. Here's what he tells us to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's just that easy, isn't it? Right? It's not easy, but it's clear. Make disciples. And so here's where we could end the message. Let's close in prayer. That's our goal. That's our mission. Make disciples. Boom. What does that look like? What does that mean? One of the struggles that we have is that we don't have a cultural point of reference for discipleship, what that looks like. 
Now, the disciples, they knew about discipleship because they were disciples, right? They lived that out. And so I've mentioned throughout this series how Jesus does some things that, that very much follow the pattern and tradition of rabbis, and at other points, he breaks away from the tradition. And so in the traditional model, a rabbi would travel with his disciples for about 15 years, that's right, 15 years, before they would graduate, if you want to call it that, and become disciples of their own, right? Jesus does not do that program with his disciples. They don't get the 15 years, they don't get a graduation day, they don't get to become rabbis. Nope, not going to happen. Instead, Jesus says, you're never going to graduate, you're going to continue to be disciples who make more disciples, And then those disciples will make disciples and so on and so on and so forth. No more rabbis. Jesus is the last rabbi. Last rabbi we needed anyway. I mean, there's still people that go around a rabbi. But last rabbi that we ever needed, there he is. No more graduating. And we ought to find a sense of humility in that. Nobody's made it. And this is one of the toughest things about being a disciple that makes disciples is being able to say, I'm still a work in progress, and yet here I am trying to show you how to live. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's how it works. And that requires humility. A knowledge that none of us in this room are rabbis. We are all works in progress. We're all continuing to be disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, showing people, having them stand up publicly and show themselves to be a part of this movement, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, these words of encouragement, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that beginning statement there in verse 20 is really redundant. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Yeah, that's built into what it means to be a disciple and make disciples. That's it. And so this is what we're commanded to do. Take a look at all the things that Jesus doesn't say, right? Therefore, go into the world and make converts. Doesn't say that. Does not say that. Therefore, go into the world and make people feel bad about the bad things that they do. None say that. Therefore, go into the world and do service projects. Uh Uh-oh. Listen, that's essential. If you've hung out with Hope long enough, you know this this is a pillar of who we are as a church. We have to serve. Yes, we have to serve. But there's a bigger goal in mind. It doesn't stop with serving. Therefore, go into the world and what? I mean, a whole bunch of things he doesn't list. Go for the world. Make people religious? No, that's not it. Go into the world and share the gospel? Yes. Yes. But more than that, there's the gospel of salvation, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, the good news of how much God loves us, loved us enough to send his one and only son into this world, and that Christ died on the cross in my place and in your place, and that anyone who puts their trust and faith in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Praise God. Good news is an understatement. That's great news. You don't have to trust in yourself or your own good deeds. You're not going to make it. Put your trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. But what about the rest of life beyond the gospel? What about trying to function in this broken world? Have you noticed that, by the way? How broken this world is and how dysfunctional we human beings are? and the pride, and the ego, and the ugliness that we're capable of. Thank God for the gospel message. Yes, we need that. Yes, but what about everything beyond salvation, beyond the gospel message? Discipleship is both. It's not just making a convert. Here's the gospel message. Say the sinner's prayer, okay? Get yourself your fire insurance. Okay, you've said the prayer. Great. Have a nice life. 
That's not it. That's not it. There's salvation and beyond salvation. There's the gospel and then there's the way to live. So many of us in this room had some kind of experience with Christianity when we were younger. And we thought, well, it's just about this. I've got this gospel thing locked up. I've accepted Christ as Savior, and I can do whatever I want and ask for forgiveness when I sin. No, 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 no. That's not discipleship. It's believing in the gospel and then living. It's tied. Obedience. Obey everything I commanded you. Obedience is part of it. Now, this came up this past Monday in our Matthew Bible study. There has been an incredible tension for as long as Christianity has been a thing over salvation and beyond salvation, these two pieces, right? Wait a minute, I'm saved by what Jesus has done for me, so it's nothing that I do that adds to my salvation, so why do I have to do anything? But on the other hand, Jesus says I have to obey what he said to do, but I'm not saved by what I do, I'm saved by over this, so do I really have to do that? The tension that has existed, right? And the simple way to put it is like this. We're not saved by our works. We are saved for works so that we could do something worth doing in this world. What do you got? What do you got to do in this world that's worth doing? What? Go to school, make money, try to make more money, buy a house, go on vacation, retire, play golf, get sick, die. Woo! What do you got? What do you got? And Jesus says, I got something better than that. I've got a purpose. You can contribute to the mission of God. What else are you going to do with your time? What else are you going to do on this planet? And this, this rules, the, obe- the, thing, the obedience piece, the rules that Jesus gives us to live within, those boundaries that Jesus gives us, they're for our own benefit. Jesus says to us, I know what you're dealing with. Jesus says to us, I know how dysfunctional this world is. If you want a chance at not only surviving but thriving in this world, obey. That's it. Jesus loves us enough to not only, did he, not only did he die on the cross for our sins and give us salvation, he also gives us a way to function while we're still here. Those of you in this room who accepted Jesus as your Savior, you weren't whooshed up to heaven right away, were you? No, you were left here. Jesus says, I've got you covered while you're here. I'll show you a way. The first followers of Jesus were called followers of the way, the way of life. It was more than just salvation, beyond salvation. That's what we're called to do. So this whole thing of making disciples, man, it's easier to make converts, isn't it, right? As awkward as that is, I'm going to run into somebody at Wawa, and I'm going to give them a pamphlet. I'm going to get them to say the sinner's prayer. That's tough, but it's even more difficult to journey with someone and to make a disciple beyond the gospel message, beyond the hit and run evangelism, beyond that, to make a disciple and teach somebody else to obey everything that Christ has taught us. Wow. How do we do this practically? How do we do this practically? Well, first off, we have to, as disciples ourselves, remember, none of us are rabbis. As disciples ourselves, we need to actively participate in our own discipleship, discipline, discipleship, same root word. We need to have some disciplines that we engage in, all right? Doing what you're doing right now, gathering together for a worship service, learning more about Jesus, growing more into his word, being reminded of what you are supposed to be about. This is an act of discipline. This is you. This is what it looks like to participate, actively participate in your own discipleship. So, gold star for the day, right? That's what it looks like. What else do you need to do as a disciple? I don't know. You've heard it. You could probably list it for me. Read the Bible. Yeah, read the Bible, right? 
If you want to obey everything that God has commanded us to do, you need to know what it is, and you need to study it for yourself, and there's only so much I can do for you. I'm not your Bible, right? Your Bible is your Bible, and I'm your pastor. I'm no substitute for you reading the Bible for yourself. I'm just not. I'm just not, and you know that, right? You know that. I'm, I'm just busy preaching on the same passage every week when you come in, right? You're not going to get the whole thing from me. You need to learn. You do, and that's part of it. That's part of it. That's part of it. Engaging in service projects, absolutely. That is an essential piece. It's not the whole pie. It's a piece of it, an essential piece. Once upon a time, I heard somebody say that being a disciple, the being, you ready for this? I really like this. It's Dwight Smith, by the way, if you want to look him up. The being is in the doing. Isn't that fun? The being, let me explain it this way, right? (laughs) Oh, I love it. It makes no sense. I love it, right? The being a disciple is in the doing of what a disciple does. The being a disciple is not in the knowing. Well, I know what a disciple should do. The being is not in the believing. Well, I believe in Jesus. So that, mm, the being a disciple is in the doing of what a disciple does. How about that? Yikes, how about that? And so there are things that we all can do to actively participate in our own discipleship to, yes, learn more. And yeah, absolutely, there is an academic or intellectual process to this, but it's about living it. You can't just retain it. You have to live it, right? So we actively participate in our own, even like some of you right now, some of you are taking notes. That's great. That's great. You know why? Because we leave this space and we forget. And if we write it down, we'll be less inclined to forget, right? Even that's just a powerful thing to, to be able to show up to this space and expect to hear from God beyond the music, beyond the speaker, beyond the sermon. I'm gonna, I might hear something from God. I better write it down. Take out your phone, make some notes, do whatever it is to write that down. That's actively participating in your own discipleship. And then there's everybody else, all the people that we need to make into new, right? New disciples. How do you do this stuff? Working, we put a strong emphasis on working within your circle of influence. Who are the people in your life, listen, that you love the most, that you are most invested in, and to share with those people. Yes, share the gospel, but to have, to be willing to have real conversations with the people in your life that you love. God has placed people in your life to be willing to have real conversations that go beyond weather, that go beyond sports, that go beyond how's work, into what's going on in your heart. I'm going to tell you something right now. A conversation that you, you as a believer, if you have a conversation like that, you know what I'm talking about by real conversations. A heart-level conversation with somebody else, even if you don't mention the name of Jesus, is progress. Because you've just shown that person, I care. I'm invested. Do you know how rare a gift that is? To have somebody care about you? In a world where everybody is out for themselves, or at least it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? We're all so busy. We've got agendas to have somebody say, I care enough about you to make sure you're okay. That is a precious gift, and that is part of how you can make a disciple. And yes, there is sharing the gospel. Yes, that does need to happen, right? Sometimes there's this thing that, well, actually, this is quite common in Christianity. People think, well, I'm just going to live by example, and people are going to figure it out. Really? Really? By your example, is somebody going to figure out that God sent his son into the world to die on a cross for their sins? That's quite an example, by the way. You need, there needs to be words. You can't have just the words and no deeds. You can't have just the deeds and no words. You need them both, right? 
And so there is that. And how do you do these things? Okay, remember, I told you last week, you're not on, as individuals, you are not on your own to share the fullness of the gospel with anybody in your life. There's a partnership that exists between the individuals and the collectives. In other words, let your church help you. Let your church help you. We've talked about evangelism like this. It's conversations and invitations. It's conversations and invitations. I'm willing to talk to you about some real stuff, and then I'm going to invite you to an environment where you can be around other people who are Christians, like a worship service, like a small group, like a Bible study, like whatever it is, conversations, and then tag in your church to help you because you're not on your own to share the fullness of the gospel with the people in your life. You're just not. We've got your back. We're a support system. Conversations and invitations. Another way, if you've ever noticed, the last slide says invest and invite. Invest, make a spiritual, a time, a care, a heart investment in the lives of other people, and then invite them to meet the Jesus that you know and love, the Jesus that has saved you. Invest and invite. And so from a leadership perspective, the way I see discipleship is, is on a pendulum, all right? And so you've got these two big pieces of it. You've got the gospel message over here, right? I did this in the fall. Does anybody remember that? Oh, somebody does. You've got the gospel over here, right? And then you have over here building into the people who have already received the gospel, right? Showing them, this is what Jesus said. This is how Jesus had to live. Teaching them how to do the stuff that Jesus... So you've got all this stuff pouring into the people who are already believers. And then you have over here making new disciples, okay? Building up your current disciples and making new disciples. And the pendulum swings back and forth and back and forth. And if you're listening online... You're missing out on some wonderful actions up here, okay? But thank you for listening, right? So there's this piece and there's this piece. And that's not a perfect way to think about it because you need both at all times. You do. You need both at all times. But in terms of thinking about emphasizing, you go back and forth. And there are times that this is like a peek behind the curtain of ministry, a peek behind the curtain of me being a pastor. There are times where I put emphasis on this piece, the gospel, making new disciples. And there are times where we put emphasis on this piece over here, teaching people, how to live, showing them the fullness of how Christ commanded us to live. And we swing back and forth and back and forth. And what I told you back in the fall before we knew about the building, before anything was official there, before that announcement happened, what I told you in the fall is that once we started filling up this space, I put a lot of emphasis over here, building up our current believers, showing them the way. The pendulum has been moved over here for a long time, and I tell you what, there is a massive amount of tension building up now. So that when we move and have more room to grow, we are going to swing violently, violently in this direction, violently. Our first Sunday over there, that's going to be a pretty in-house Sunday. It's going to be the first Sunday in April, and we'll be over there. And Don't invite your friends to that one, okay? You heard it. You heard it here. The pastor said, don't, inv- don't invite people to church, right? Maybe it's reverse psychology. I don't know. No, for real. Wait until the following Sunday, because the following Sunday, our second Sunday, is Easter. And so we're going to move in that first Sunday. I'm going to spend a little bit more time over here. And then when Easter comes around, boom, over here, over here. You've been warned. Why is the preaching different? Why is he using words like that? Why, is he talking to, why isn't he talking to me? Because I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm talking to them. I'm talking to people that you're bringing. Isn't that what you need me to do? I'm trying to help you, right? We're working together on this. This is what it looks like. Boom, back and forth. And then when we fill up that space, I'll go over here, right? Okay? And that's what we'll do. Behind the scenes, this is what it looks like, okay? And we'll swing back over here and pour into people, and then we'll go back and forth, back and forth. And that's how we as a church 
are making disciples. Oh, okay. I'll take it where I can get it. Thank you very much, right? Crave attention. All right, there we go. <laughs> Trying to grow out of that, but still part of me. Where do you come into this? All right, let me ask you, what's the next step that you need to take to actively participate in your own discipleship? What is it? What is it? I don't know. What's the next step? Do you just need to turn up the heat on your intentionality, come into worship, make that a more regular part of your life, right? You know, one of the things I encourage you to think about back in the fall is if you're going to be here, be here on purpose, right? If you're going to show up, if you're going to make the time, if you're going to carve out this time during your week to show up and worship, to really be present and engage and go ahead and write stuff down if you hear something from God, write it down. Just turn up the intentionality. Is that what you need to do? Is that the next step? That's a simple next step, I think, relatively. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's time to peek, peek into that Bible a little bit, right? Devote some time on a daily basis or even just during the work week or I don't know, start somewhere. Is it time to start reading the Scripture for yourself? Is it time to connect with a small group? They're listed in the bulletin. Is it time to, to show up to the men's breakfast? If you're a guy, that's open to you, right? Is it time to do that? What's, what's that next step look like for you? And in terms of, of really being able to take that next step and reaching out to other people, what does that look like in your life? Is there one person, forget about everybody you know, is there one person that God has laid on your heart that you feel like you really need to talk to, have a real heart-level conversation with? Is there somebody that's in your life and you've been talking to them for a long time and you know your next thing that you need to do is make the invitation, but you're scared. What if they say no? Do you feel that way? What if they say no? Put myself, I feel like George McFly. What if I just can't handle that kind of rejection, right? Some of you know that movie. But there is a personal thing. What if I invite somebody to small group or to worship and they say no, my feelings? Just do it. Be bold and courageous. Do not be afraid. Just do it, right? If it's time. If it's time, if you've gone as far as you can go, it's time to say, listen, you want to come out with me? I'll pick you up. We'll go out to lunch afterwards, and we'll make fun of the preacher together. Whatever it takes, right? Is it time for the invitation? Maybe that's, maybe that's what it's time for. You know. I think you know. Spend some time in prayer thinking about what is that next step. Don't do the thing that we Christians normally do. You know what we normally do? We stand up for the last song, and then we forget everything, right? Forget all the challenges that we're preaching. I forget. No, don't, let's not do that this time. Let's think about what is it? What is my next step in discipleship? Because this is what we're supposed to be about. We're not about making converts. It's bigger than that. We're not just about serving people. Yeah, we're about serving people, but it's bigger than just acts of service. It's bigger than that. We're not about making Christians. Jesus said, never said, go into the world and make Christians. It's bigger than that, because I don't know what that word Christian means. I know what a disciple is, but a Christian, whatever. Yeah, it could be whatever you want it to be. I don't know. Who's policing that term? Not me. It's bigger than that. We're called to make disciples. That's what we need to be about going forward. This has been our history. This is our present, and it must be our future. We continue to make disciples, sharing the gospel, going beyond the gospel and how to live in this world in the here and now, loving people enough to make ourselves vulnerable and to have real... That's vulnerable, we need to keep loving people enough to be vulnerable around them, letting them see us as we are works in progress. Isn't that tough to do? Well, once I have it all figured out, maybe I'll have that conversation. That day ain't never going to come. To let, let people see I'm a work in progress too. 
put ourselves out there to love people enough to actively seek out ways to help them discover what it means to be a disciple. This is who we are as a church, and this is what we are about, making disciples. Let's pray on that. Father God, you know how many temptations exist in this world. And you know all the things that we human beings can pursue in this life. And you know all the ways that we Christians can be derailed and and lose focus. But Father God, we ask that you would help us to hold on to the mission that you have given us. Let us hold fast to that. Let us not become derailed. Let us not get distracted. Especially now during this season of transition. I pray for this, your church here, Hope Community Church. Give us that sense of clarity, absolute clarity concerning what you have called us to do. Father God, on behalf of this congregation, I want to let you know that we are not content to just be some other church. We want to be your church. We want to work toward that ideal. We want to continue to bless and love our neighbors and this community. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.